Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Kerr. And with the hiring of new Texans coach, David Culley, I thought this was the perfect time to welcome back one of our favorites over the years, Stephanie Stradley, who covers the Texans for the Chronicle. Always great to catch up with you, Steph. And I feel for you these days because it's almost like you've become this sounding board on social media for all the McNair and Easterby anger. You're sort of the perfect conduit because you're kind of the combo of being an insider, but still a fan. Yeah, you know, I actually prefer talking about football and not organizational dysfunction. But I guess my background is pretty good with this sort of thing because whether it's football or legal stuff, some people ask me to look at situations and say, can this be fixed? And sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that is unknown in this whole situation. But I, before we get into the the oh the, the the real mess that is, let me just start off by stripping away the Texans' presentation of Cully and how we ended up with him because we got to get back to that. But that's a whole other thing. What do you think about him as a potential coach? It's interesting to, to me because... If this was not the Texans and this was not set up by this chain of PR disasters, maybe people see Cully as somebody, you know, highly enough thought of by Andy Reid and John Harbaugh to be an assistant coach on both of their staffs, both, you know, incredibly successful coaches, which in theory, Steph, is a pretty good thing if you think about it. I guess, I mean, we can try to strip the context away from all of the hires, right? But we can't. I mean, we have to we have to recognize what the external reality is. And, you know, I know I've been saying this, but the external reality is at the end of last season, Deshaun Watson made it very clear that the culture was broken and said as much as he could without directly publicly throwing people in the grease, because when you do that, people react in all different sorts of ways. And, you know, he privately spoke to Cal McNair and reports say he did it on behalf of other people in the organization. And at the end of the day, Cal McNair chose Jack Easterby and Nick Casario over Deshaun Watson and everyone. In, including himself, like this can't be a great situation for him to be in where everybody is saying, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But in his original press conference, Cal McNair said that he wants fans to trust that what they are doing is right. And they don't like, so it doesn't matter who you hire. If you, are in an environment where there is no trust and there is no respect, it's hard to go forward. Like, how do you care about the Houston Texans when through their words and their actions, they don't care about anyone and what they think? While you're talking about that, I just want to mention something because, Steph, you say that, and and I, I think of 
you and I both have seen Cal McNair out of Texans practice, practice a bunch over sure. the years. It, it wasn't like he wasn't around, didn't care about football when his dad was alive. Are you surprised at how little he appears to know of about football? I ask this because I guess it's just dumbfounding to me how anybody who enjoyed football enough to want to run a team, and maybe it's too much to assume he enjoys football, but how could you watch games and be around this for the last few years and, and not understand anything about the game? Well, I'm not sure that this is necessarily him not understanding the game. I think that this is just him not understanding people. He clearly trusts Jack Easterby and Jack Easterby's vision of what the Houston Texans could be. And some of that is an extension of the general O'Brien view, which is do your job. You know, it's, you know, all the all the normal things that are normally said by football coaches. Like none of that is particularly unusual. And this is just taking it one step further, which is, you know, some people believe that you should get buy-in for the things that you're doing in culture. And some people just say, you know what, I am right. I don't care what other people think. And I'm going to just do it this way. And you're either all in or you're out or too bad. You just need to suck it up. I mean, those are different leadership models. Like the leadership model that you see in Deshaun Watson is, hey, look, I have passion for this. I have respect for you. Let's all work together. And this is fun. Right. And, you know, he has a proven leadership style that has worked for him for a very long time, right? And Jack Easterby's view of things is more kind of like, you know, inspirational book learning way. Like, I know that this is the right way to do things and I'm going to put this on people even if it diminishes their humanity. Even if the things that I am doing, I mean, I'm just saying this from the outside. Like, so I just don't think that Cal McNair has a really good sense of people. Like, Healthy organizations don't just care about, you know, like trite little, you know, do your job stuff because all all teams have that good, healthy organizations want it to be a good place to be when you're working to attract people to your vision, not tell people how your vision has to be. And so the way that things are structured right now is it's. You know, it's kind of like what J.J. Watt talked about is the disconnect between the fans and the players. And, you know, when you go through situations like this, it's hard on the fans, which makes it hard on the staff, which makes it hard on the players. And, you know, Cal McNair said change is hard. Well, you know, the answer is no, change is not always hard. If you're doing a good job, change is actually an affirming thing to do if you can get buy-in, but that's like what, what's happening right now is peculiar. Your best employee for the whole place said, this is what needs to be done. And you did exactly the opposite of that. And then you wonder why that leader doesn't like your, your direction. Like it, it clearly doesn't make sense, but I don't think that he has a really good sense of people because he doesn't, he doesn't have any real consequences to him making choices that are uncomfortable to him. Like he has, he likes Jack Easterby. He trusts Jack Easterby. 
So all the other consequences that flow from that, it doesn't matter to him. Well, change is going to be a lot harder, though, when you have got to know that your quarterback is unhappy, your fan base is unhappy, you're being ripped, not only by the local media, but the national media. Sure. So I, I just feel like there is such a disconnect between Cal McNair and his organization based on the fact that, yeah, he, he doesn't want to change Jack Easterby or whomever he's in there. But getting back to David Culley for a second, yeah. you talk about repairing the culture. And just from what little we've seen of David Culley, and I guess, you know, from a personality standpoint, unless you've followed the Ravens and the Chiefs and all the other teams he's been with over the years, do you think that he even has a chance to repair the culture? Because let's be honest, without Deshaun, it's going to be a whole lot harder than if he is, has Deshaun. We can talk about the deck chairs on the Titanic, but <laughs> the ship is sinking. Like, ultimately, the question a lot of people have is, if things were so bad, why did Deshaun Watson sign the contract? Well, a couple reasons. A, he knows better than most that an injury can derail you and you can lose all the money. So bird in the hand is is one of the things he understands, you know, right. franchise tags and all that. Two, the structure of his contract was very player-friendly compared to, let's say, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he has a no-trade clause, which was just kind of amazing that he was able to get that. But that's the kind of contract that you have when you have no adult supervision in the building. Okay, so he has this contract. They had run off DeAndre Hopkins for very poor value. That obviously was not something that he wanted. There were reports that said that he did not communicate for the team for a while after that. It was pretty astonishing, right? And then after O'Brien is fired early in the season, which is very difficult for a team to, to navigate, particularly when you don't have offensive members on staff who are highly qualified, correct? So. When O'Brien left, whatever you think, like he had his own cultural issues, but when he left, Easterby filled the void. Now think about the kind of coach that Romeo Cornell is, highly respected, very well liked, but he wasn't dictating to Jack Easterby what he could or could not do. Nobody is. So Jack Easterby last season filled that void. Anything that he could do, he did without anybody like an O'Brien or even like later after Amy Palchek left, not even her. Like over time, they got rid of a lot of the adult voices in the building. And Jack Easterby, through his vision and through his will, tried to do things his way. And it rubbed lots of people the wrong way, including players, according to the Sports Illustrated reporting, which was mostly ignored by the team. And now, so, I mean, David Culley is the new Romeo Cornell, a very well-liked person who's going to try his best in the circumstances he's in and get paid. Congratulations to him. <laughs> like, there's, he is right. There are... 32 spots, and he got to have one. He's in a situation where it's the strong GM model, right? The GM picks the coach, and Easterby is going to have, quote, an important role 
with Nick Casario. He's an important person in Nick Casario's life. The language that Nick Casario has been saying and David Cully has been saying is that Easterby vision. So the biggest issue that they have is what I said in my last piece, which is this idea of toxic positivity. I love positivity. All I want more than anything is just to hang out with my pals and watch good football, right? But toxic positivity ignores real pain, pretends like it doesn't exist, and just says, hey, that's bygones, let's move on, without really dealing with essential issues. And one of the essential issues is Jack Easterby is running the train. And Cal McNair relies on this non-football person in his ear who has very bad sense of organizational people. Like most of Jack Easterby's background is kind of self-improvement, and he has improved his own self. Well, let's talk about where positivity ends and other things start to come in. And I guess there's nobody that can do an intervention with Cal McNair and say, Look, your your positivity uh, deal with Jack Easterby and all of this sort of stuff, there's no positivity amongst the fans, and that's a problem. And if you go to the press conference at noon on Friday and you start looking at the comment section, and it's just a roll of negative, hate-filled fans going off on what's going on, and that's where I go to you, Steph, because you've got more of a connection with the fan base than I do and a real insight and a Joe and Jane Texan fan, you know them. If they trade Deshaun, what percentage of the Texans fans leave in their own version of free agency? And I guess I ask this because if the virus restrictions are open by September and NRG Stadium is empty, even without the, the people not being able to come because of the virus restrictions, somebody in the accounting is going to say, look, we got the stadium half filled or a third filled, nobody's coming to the games, and that's a problem. And and maybe Cal doesn't get it, but you know, somebody like Janice might understand something like that. No, it's it's way beyond that. It's way beyond that. I understand that all sorts of people have tried to talk to Cal McNair about this course that they're on. He is not listening. And the other part of it from a fan perspective is some fans are just stuck. And I am not speaking for all fans. Like my view is people feel the way they do. Fans are either in on the NFL or not on the in on the NFL for a variety of reasons. There's some fans that gave up on the NFL back when the Oilers left or gave up on the NFL after watching David Carr or, you know, any number of, you know, got sick of OB or any number of things. But this is completely weird and so unnecessary. And, you know, we live in Houston, Texas, where lots of people have jobs where, you know, this kind of dysfunction would be unacceptable in every respect, because it's ridiculous that you're alienating the person who's basically trying to carry your team by himself, right? So, but the biggest issue that fans have is if you have a PSL, which is worth money to keep that PSL, you have to pay for it. So there is a certain amount of money that they're just going to get anyway. There are probably the more difficult things are people who will just abandon their 
PSL because they can't make money off of it. And the people in that boat may be the people that have the club level seats where you can't resell those seats and, and make any money off of them. And those people might just go, look, this contract's not working for me, whatever. And then there's a lot of people who are just in the standpoint of COVID and finances and everything has made them kind of rethink what's important in their lives. And to have something this embarrassing happen, they just don't want to have anything to do with the team. Like it's embarrassing and it's sad. And unnecessary and gives them grief. Like, why would you want to have that abuse in your life? And playing off of the whole COVID thing, though, once that does die down, let, let's say as, as a hypothetical scenario, let's say the Texans yeah. do trade Deshaun Watson. Yeah. All right. And you're going to hear fans and, and everybody say, well, I'm not going to go watch the Texans then. I'm not going sure. to a game. I'm not watching him on television. But, but let me ask you this. Let's say that the Texans trade him to a team like the Jets, where they get couple, two, three first-round picks, few second-round picks. They can take a top-flight quarterback. And within a couple of years, they go 11-5, and 12-4, and 13-3. Do you think that at that point, the fans more than like – I mean, in my view, the fans will come back because it, it, it always seems to lure them back, whether it's, you know, a, a baseball strike, the problems that the NFL has had over the years with how they've handled – domestic abuse situations and, uh, you know, the whole race issue, just you name it. Fans always seem to find a way to come back when their favorite team wins. What do you think? This is where I get into how fandom is really personal. It's a personal decision for people because at least in the past, when let's say the Texans were doing things in an incompetent way or in a low probability way, you could root for them because you liked them and you thought that they were doing good things in the community. Making a series of choices that show disregard for fans and disregard for their players and disregard for their staff, for some people, that's too far. Like everybody has their different trigger points of when something's just not working for them anymore. I mean, the point is always, well, you know, yeah, we're doing this thing, but winning solves everything. And it, it it does for some people, you know, some people are like, hey, look, I don't care about these players. I don't care about the people. Just, you know, if they win, this is cool and that's fine. But it's a huge ass to say for a fan base who has been waiting for literal decades for a great quarterback to come in and have him get run off for a former chaplain slash character coach like that is a huge ask now some people would be fine with the low probability approach of running off somebody who's the bird in the hand with the hope that the new way that they're doing in Easterby's vision will eventually lead to a result but you know it may be just like how how things are for a lot of fans. And I get this a lot, which is, hey, could you wake me up when they're good and it doesn't hurt to root for them? Well, let's let's also remember they've been good the last few years, but the presentation has been crappy in the form of Bill O'Brien and now with the Easterby situation. So I, I think you see the fan base slowly melting away. I mean, you, tell me if I'm wrong, Steph. 
there's not as many people coming to the games. And and I think it's just about, well, we, didn't, we don't think, number one, Bill O'Brien can win on any sort of major level. And number two, we don't like him. We don't like this organization because they put him in charge. And, and you could see that in the number of people that come. You can talk about PSLs and, and buying tickets and people still might buy tickets, but fans, fans in the seats count. They count, don't they, not, Steph? Not really. Fans in the seats don't count one bit. And frankly, two years ago when they were the Deshaun Watson show and they go to the playoffs, there were plenty of people in the seats, even though the brand of football – was basically trying to get around the fact that they didn't have a good defense, right? And then this last year is COVID year, so you can't really count that. And then way back in the day when fans paid money to see David Carr flounder for five years, yeah, there weren't people in the stands and they didn't really care. Like the business side of the business tries real hard, but this is just a big ask like this isn't just you know hey you know the coach uses swear words sometimes and has football philosophies that are counterproductive or just a strategic decision this is cal mcnair deciding and caring about jack easterby more than himself and the entire franchise that's weird that's just weird. We're not even talking, you can't talk football because this is too weird. If I'm asked questions, is this a cult? I don't have good answers for that because a lot of things <laughs> that are being done are like behaviors. I mean, seriously, okay, you, you separate people from people who are giving you good advice, right? You're doing a bunch of counterproductive things for a particular person's vision this is not football we're not talking football now we're talking about leadership and you know there was some discussion that one of the reasons why nick casario was the guy is a jack easterby had the relationship with him b he's supposed to be good at his job and c jack easterby has the view that he will have more control because there's certain things that Nick Casario doesn't want to do. Now, I do not know Nick Casario. I understand that he has a good reputation, but at least from a PR perspective, the person that has been described as a low-key guy was kind of going on and on as though things were normal. The other part of that is you talk about uh, why the two of those guys are together. They have the same agent. Uh, Jack Easterby's making $3 million a year thanks to having that position and, and his agent and, and keeping his agent, uh, Steph, happy is is keeping Jack Easterby around the Texans, which, you know, and, and, and I think them hiring Casario, it was like Casario can't go and say, I want Easterby gone because then his own agent would be ticked off. And and both of them know that they pretty much have a job for life because Cal McNair will buy anything that they sell. Well, and and you start everything off in a hypocritical way, like a basic thought. And it's on Jack Easterby's Twitter feed is you're supposed to eliminate distractions. Well, he is the number one distraction. And in fact, at the end of the year, Deshaun Watson was directly asked a question about the GM situation, and he talked about it as a distraction that 
you know, he just needed to, to pay attention to football. Like, how awful is it when we're not talking about, like, some media thing being a distraction or some – no, it's the GM running the team situation is a distraction that he had to overcome last year. Like, that's absurd. And, you know, Nick Casario talked about talking about things in an honest and forthright way. Well, that is impossible. Like, for some things, there is such great distress, there's no way of re-earning it. Like, the the response that Cal McNair and Jack Easterby had to the Sports Illustrated stories was, hey, basically, we trust each other, and if more trust needs to be earned, we need to work on that. You know, the response by some organizations would be to investigate some of the serious concerns in that. I think I know your answer to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because, you know, from what... <laughs> I don't mean something downer. This is just like, ah, uh, <laughs> I would so much rather be talking about like, yeah, and, you know, it's a new start and Deshaun Watson's going to do this and this is how they're going to fix the defense. No, we don't have any of that. Like... Since the last time we talked was right after DeAndre Hopkins was run off, I had COVID without knowing it, and everything with the Texans that have happened since then has been living in the dumpster fire. I I guess I got no football for you. Well, let me ask you a football. How about this? I'll ask you a football question. What did you think when you heard the Texans were bringing back Tim Kelly as the offensive coordinator and hiring Levy Smith as the defensive coordinator? I mean, I think a lot of the moves that they're making are kind of trying to placate Deshaun Watson in some way. Like, I really think, you know, just this is just looking at externals. I really think that Cal McNair truly believes that if he just keeps hiring nice people, that fixes your culture or people that that he thinks that Deshaun Watson likes. And Deshaun Watson has said that he likes Tim Kelly. So there have been these kind of olive branch moves of, of doing things that you would think Deshaun Watson would like. Why not hire Biennemi then? I don't know all the background of that. I would think that part of the issue with a lot of that is – if you are a coach with options, you might not want to work under certain circumstances where your leadership is undermined. Now, there had been the reports that the enemy thought he was in the mix and was putting together staff. I don't know anything one way or another about those reports. But, I mean, going back to Tim Kelly, he's, like most people, someone with pluses and minuses. And his pluses is that he's an extraordinarily engaging person. You could see that he could be head coach down the road. He also has the same agent as Nick Casario and Jack Easterby. Shoot, we should all have his agent. We would all be doing much better. Deshaun Watson had a great season or a better season after he took over. The running game was still garbage, but there are various reasons why that could be. If you were really developing Deshaun Watson, the idea of having a Pep Hamilton in the building is a good thing. You know, he's somebody who actually has experience in that area. Tim Kelly's background was he played defense, then he was a grad student for Bill O'Brien, and then he eventually was tapped to be offensive coordinator. 
I also want to ask you about the uh, press conference, the David Kelly press conference. And I just kind of want to vent on a couple of things because this speaks to the Texans and, and the way they do things. First of all, Cal McNair, the owner of the team, didn't take questions, which is almost unheard of these days. I believe for the best because then he couldn't say anything counterproductive that would alienate Deshaun Watson more. Yeah, true. That's true. Uh, the journalists were only allowed to ask 11 questions and it lasted 24 minutes. Oh, and that included a scripted Texan season ticket holder question, which was silly to me and a, and a waste of time. And also number three, Casario didn't really answer questions. He's become like a politician, kind of filibustering his way through press conferences, more or less. What did you think of that? And, and I guess the, the big thing is you're one of those people that's trying to ask a question at a press conference. And you see yeah. they only ask 11 questions. They only give you guys 24 minutes. There's Rockets post games that go that long with that many questions. So what did you think? The last two press conferences I tried to ask a question, did not get a question in. I am sure they did not want to hear my questions because they know what I think. Jerome Solomon this last time did not get a question in. I am sure that they didn't want to hear those kind of questions. I mean, I think that their approach, like nobody cares that the media isn't getting to, you know, like, ooh, poor media. Like they don't care. People don't care about that. Although, really, that's the only way that we get information. Like, we will not hear from Nick Casario until closer to the draft. But it's just a part of their approach. If they ignore issues, then the issues don't exist. Yeah, somehow fans aren't missing any of that stuff. They act like it's this is a, a different world or something than the rest of us are living in. Because, you know, look, all you got to do is get on social media for two seconds. And I know social media can be poisonous, but you know, they put up the fact that Cully got hired on Twitter and I started looking at the replies and it was just guys blowing them up one after the other, after the other, you could say, Oh, well that's social media, but there's a lot of rah, rah people out there. There are a lot of Texans fans on social media that are rah, rah type people. And it, to me, I just, I don't know how you ignore all of it. The, the thing about it is everybody deals with bad news in different ways. Some people are in denial. Some people blame the messenger, like us. Like, I would like nothing better to, than to say, this is all cool. I like this new direction. I would stand on a mountaintop singing that as an opera if that was my point of view. I would love to have information where I could share to people going, hey, you should have optimism about that. And if I was given that information, I would. In fact, I contacted the Texans and said, hey, look, I know you didn't get to talk to everybody during the presser. You know, please reach out. I would love to know more about your direction. Everybody deals with things differently. As this thing eventually goes, my view is Cal McNair honestly thinks that J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson will be Texans. Like, that's how he came across in the original Nick Casario press conference. I think he believes that. I think he likes all these people, but he just doesn't understand the issues that they're facing at all. He just thinks that what he is doing is right. And, you know, in that environment and with the mindset that he has where, you know, you have to do what's right, even if it makes everybody mad, then the abuse that you receive just shows that you're on your righteous cause. 
Well, as I watched the press conference, to be honest, I, I couldn't help but almost feel sorry for David Culley. For, first of all, it took four questions before they even got to him yeah. <laughs> because they were all about Deshaun, and that's what everybody wanted to know. You know, but the, the other thing is, you know, it's, it, it wasn't David Culley's fault sure. that he's coming into this situation any more than it was Stephen Silas's fault when he took the Rockets' job. It is not the same situation, not even in the... No, it's not. It, it isn't the same situation. But I guess my point is, what, what I was leading to, though, is when you when you see that Cully was genuinely glad to be there, at least it, sure. if not, he's a good actor. But at the end of the day, that passion and excitement is already being tested, and it's going to go away pretty quickly because he's having to deal with this situation. And that's it's what you do when you become a head coach. You inherit what you inherit. But it just, you know, from a personal standpoint, you, you can't knock the passion and the excitement that he felt. But he's walking into a culture that, as you said, is, is just totally messed up. And I will say this, Steph. I mean, yeah. the reason why everybody's asking about Deshaun Watson, because David Culley is fired in three years because this is the worst team in the NFL over the next two or three years if Deshaun Watson is gone. So it's all well and good. You got a job, David Culley. But the NFL is, it stands for not for long. And as a head coach, if your team stinks, and they will be the worst team in the NFL if Deshaun Watson is traded, fact, that's a fact, because uh, they got nothing else. He definitely wants to win. Whoever's in the building, he's going to coach. And that... He's had this opportunity at this point in his life. Like, who cares if it's not for long? Like, he has a contract. He gets paid. He's going to try his best in the circumstances that he's given. And with the leadership issues that they have, I mean, Nick Casario has, you know, and, and Cal McNair said, well, we're going to deal with things in between the build, in the building, and we're going to be honest and forthright. But I don't see how you can possibly do that, given all the water that's under the bridge. Like, because Jack Easterby won. The, the hardest part about all of this is clearly Deshaun Watson knows his worth, knows that he's been carrying this team by himself. And then to lose to that guy, really? You expect him to do that? And I think, at the, I think what's happening is that Cal McNair likes everybody involved. and they have set up an environment where it's just not tenable for Deshaun Watson to be in a situation with this kind of leadership. And so eventually they'll be able to convince Cal McNair like they did with other players, like, well, you know, he's not all in. We need to get as much value that we can get for him and J.J. Watt and then build our wall brick by brick and doing it the right way. Why doesn't Sean just come out and say, if Easter B doesn't go, then I go? That's the one thing that I don't understand about it. He doesn't want to be here anymore. It's that bad. Like, it's obvious. <sighs> the, yeah. the thing about anything that, uh, that you or me or an athlete or, you know, Cal McNair or anybody says is there is a reaction to anything that you say. Like, he's already tried to save the Texans. He lost. He has no responsibility to them at all anymore. Like, he's on vacation. He strapped that whole organization on his back, risked everything last year, told the team what needed to be done, and Cal McNair 
not only did the exact opposite, but then after the reaction to it, after Andre Johnson said everything bad happened after this guy showed up, Cal McNair said a sorry, not sorry, and Easterby staying. He should not need to do anything more because anything that he says, whether he says something or he doesn't say something, people will feel the way that they do about it. He's already done what he can do. The end. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And, and at what point do the Texans just need to fold up their tents and say, okay, it's time to trade him? I mean, in my, in my view, it might as well be now because I, I just don't believe – I don't believe it's salvageable. Not, not even two weeks ago, Robert asked me what my percentage would be of them trading Deshaun. And I'll be honest, I, I was still kind of, you know, treading lightly. I was uh, hoping against hope. I said 60-40 in the favor that they would trade him. Now, Steph, I, I think it's 99-1 to 1 that they've got to trade. I don't know that they even want to work something out with them. Like, that's the thing. I mean, I'm sure Cal McNair does. It's pretty clear that he's not compliant and that Jack Easterby and Nick Casario want compliant all-in people. There is no words that Cal McNair and Nick Casario, like let's say that Deshaun got on the phone with them and they'd go, hey, look at all these great coaches and we're going to spend all these resources and we're going to do all these things. No, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And what they did was keep the person that people didn't like, the end, and and doubled down on it. Well, the phone call that Steph just got was Jack Easterby on the line, and he just wanted to uh, tell you that everything that you've heard about him, Steph, that's all lies. It's all lies. You know that, right? And to be be fully fair, like this is not personal with him. There are people in New England who said great things about him. There's people outside of New England who had great things to say about him. But just because you trust somebody doesn't mean that other people will trust something. And what works on an individual basis for self-improvement isn't the same concepts of what works organizationally. They said great things about him as a team chaplain, though. Let's be clear on that. Yeah, and Bill Belichick didn't exactly give him a ringing endorsement recently. And, uh, you know, he he's the straw that stirs the drink in New England. So <laughs> that's kind of where I drew that. The word from the people that I talked to in New England said Belichick thought he was a backstabber and he was happy to see him go. He didn't like him at all. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that one way or another. There was clearly some reports that once he got an agent and was doing things further afield from his original mission that people were like, why is this non-football person telling us how to do football things? Like, I think the biggest issue that he has is the role of a character coach of being a confidant is by nature completely different than somebody who says, if I don't like what you're doing, I'm going to get rid of you, right? There's an ethics to it. And then there's just the whole separate issue, which is we are talking about a professional sport of grown people, people who overcame actual things in their lives. So the idea of a character coach trying to fix them when they're playing at the highest level, it's really easy for that to turn into some paternalism. That's kind of the sense that I have gotten like over the last couple of years that he left his lane of player development and turned into 
hey, I'm head of football ops. I'm, I have this vision of the right way of doing things and it's my way or the highway and very paternalistic. And, you know, if you don't have trust in doing that, that's a hard thing. And, and I don't know how you could have trust with him in the building in the owner's ear. Yeah, it's weird, Steph, because you and I, and, and also Stephen, we all remember a GM that mooned a wedding party. We remember a defensive coordinator that punched another offensive coordinator during a game on the sideline. We saw baby gate. We saw uh, just absolute absurdity from the Houston Oilers. And yet somehow I have never seen a franchise that is so messed up and so lost and so hated as this Texans franchise is right now. And part of that is a combination of, they've always had a tendency for toxic positivity, which is instead of addressing issues that they have, they would just kind of go, well, we hope that this will be better this next year. That That's always been a tendency. It's at its worst now, and it's combined with a tendency by the team to go, hey, look, we know better than fans that passion for fans is good, whether they hate us or they like us is a good thing because they care. So we're going to just do what we want. And and healthier organizations, they don't just do what fans want because you can't do what fans want because sometimes fans want dumb things. But they have less of a disconnect between just your fans and how your staff is and that love and that care can help winning. And if you're doing difficult things, if you're doing things that are outside of what is a high probability move, you need to articulate why you're doing that. And if you can't, if you can't stand in front of people and tell them, this is why we are doing things, then you deserve for people not to care about your team. Well, that's right. And and clearly, though, the Texans have not figured out successfully anyway how to draw the line between what the fans want and what is best for the team. And I, I believe that's that's one of the major reasons that they are in this situation and they continue to be because they, they are just totally blind to that aspect. I think the bigger issue is for so long – you know, you know, they had to like they had to create the team out of nothing. The NFL didn't really give them a lot of help. They had a disconnect between their first GM and their first head coach where they weren't on the same page. And so then they got this idea of an alignment and they had that through Rick Smith and Gary Kubiak. But over, you know, we're almost at the two decade mark. And really what they needed is professional football people like the people on the business side of their business are actually pretty good at what they do. They're some of the best at what they do and they've had good football people in the building, but they really need adult supervision of people who have wide ranging football experience. And the football experience isn't just X's and O's. It's how people work together that that's what they've been missing. It's typically in this point of the podcast where I ask you Steph, what you're working on, what kind of stories you're writing, you're going to write about the Texans. Do you have anything left in the tank after all the last few weeks about that? 
I wrote a big Easter beef thing in October saying you need real football people and this is going to end poorly. And I wish I was wrong, but I wasn't. And it's going to just stay ugly for a while. And then I stopped writing game previews when it was pretty obvious that it was just the Deshaun Watson show. And what's the point of spending any of my time on it? I wrote something after the Casario deal, his first press conference saying, you know, this is all the things that they're missing out on. This is what was wrong with it. And this is why this is the worst press conference in the history of the team. And you can only lead a horse to water so many times. I think the next thing I'm writing is the hard news for fans, which is this is, you know, I've been getting lots of PSL questions and I'm just going to write, you know, this is what you do with your PSLs and, you know, you know, you, these are what your options are. That's what I'm going to write. Like it's the sickest, like, it's a beautiful day outside. I don't even want to think about the team right now because I've always just been trying to personalize things to make watching football better, but this isn't football. Right. And that's, that's on the Texans. And, you know, I, I, I guess I, I want to ask you, you know, we see all of, through all of the society these days, the masses are are fighting back, you know, whether it's wall street whether it's the racial situation, do you see anything? I mean, we saw sort of this, you know, poor attempt at a, a march outside of or a, a protest outside of the stadium. Do you see any way that the Texans fans can fight back on something like this? Because maybe that's something that wouldn't have been an option 20 or 30 years ago that, you know, maybe they can do something. And they said a mass message. No, there is there is no mass message. Yeah. Seriously. Every, like people inside the building, people outside the building who are friends of Cal McNair, I understand have tried. They are quite aware of people's unhappiness with what their direction is and what they're doing. And their response to that is, well, if we just keep on getting nicer people, then this will all be better. And maybe someday it will be. But right now, it's going to stay ugly until it's not ugly. You know, sometimes like that was in my most, on my pinned tweet, that's one of the things, which is at some point, like I deal with actual bad intractable problems all the time. Like things where there are no solutions. This is not this. This is them inviting the trouble them reveling in the trouble, them thinking that them stepping on themselves is actually a noble act and shows that they're more right because they're doing this, a, a bunch of low probability moves. Like they think that what they're doing is right. Like there's nothing that you can do. Like the more that you say something to a true believer the more right they think that they're being. So, I, I mean, I think I think the answer, it, you know, just from the outside looks like they're like, okay, well, this is the course that we're taking. They better just deal with it. And, you know, if you don't like it, we're just going to exit everybody out of the building and get maximum value. It's It's team before self. And the team before self thing to do is everybody's the same everybody's value is the same. Everybody's just a commodity and we're just going to commodify this. You're either in or you're out. And if, if Deshaun Watson's not in, then they're just going to get assets or they're going to just 
um, make him lose money and if he doesn't play or force him to play. I just don't see that that's something that he's going to want to do. It's no fun being at a place that clearly doesn't respect you. Well, they're clearing people out all right. And and they're also going to be trading not only their own players and, and those people that are going to want to get out and, you know, all the people that inside the building and behind the scenes and stuff like that. But at some point, you're also going to be trading away the fans because you're going to be trading away Texans fans. Instead, there's going to be Titans fans in the building and Jaguars fans in the building. No, there's not going to be Jaguars fans in the building. Well, maybe so. You never know with Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. Maybe they get a following now. I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I think they don't care. Like, at least with Bud Adams, you could recognize that what he did was based on money. Like, he did what he did because of money. Cal McNair is doing what he's doing because he thinks this is the right way to win, is having these people in the building helping him lead lead things in this particular direction. Like, look at the Knicks. The Knicks have a terrible owner. Is there anything that fans can do to stop him from being a terrible owner. No. Like when you have an ownership that is clueless, they're clueless. Now this is a kind of a weirder situation in that some of the things that they're doing have HR implications that the league may not like. And it's also not good to just, you know, fourth largest city in a in a football loving area completely telling everybody to eat crap, which is what the Texans are doing. But like fans in the stands and PSLs and all that kind of stuff, they don't care. They just figure, hey, when when we win, people will come back. And, you know, there's just going to be some fans that will just go, I can't deal with this. Like I can't root for a team where I don't like the people running it. Steph, thanks for coming on and appreciate you going through all this, even though none of us like talking about it. It's not just you. None of us like it. <laughs> I mean, can't we just can't we just all be cool? Can't people of character resign when they realize what they have done? But only in a perfect world <laughs> will we see that. The Houston Texans are the people that you met along the way, and it's been delightful meeting y'all. Same here. Well, Stephen and I will try to find some positives in our next podcast because we're going to talk about the Rockets in the next podcast a little bit later this week. So stay tuned for that one. But uh, really appreciate Steph again. And again, you you know where to find her, cron.com. You know how to find her on Twitter, I'm sure. So I uh, just want to thank everybody for joining us. And you can also message us through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.